praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. What a day this is. So blessed to be sharing it with you. We feel so blessed and so loved for you sharing it with us. Question for you as we get started. We'll see if I can hold it together while we go through this in one way or another. Uh, What's the most frightening, if not intimidating, decision you have ever made in your life? I want you to think about that for a second. I don't want you to say it out loud, necessarily. But I want you to think about that for a second. And and here's another thought on it. How is it going? (laughs) Because it's pretty likely that whatever decision you might have just thought about is still in process. Yes or no? Possibly? Maybe? I want you to go with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis 12, we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 and a number of other scriptures as I share a bit of our testimony of my family's journey to adoption. Is that all right with you? Because God has placed on my wife's heart and my heart and and my kids' hearts something that I believe isn't just for us but for all of us and it's why we're sharing this. But it's also why I want to share testimony about what God is doing through it all. Because it really isn't about us at all. It's about His power. It's about His glory. And it's what He is doing as we walk in process in His will. Uh, Genesis chapter 12. uh, Let me read it for you. If you would follow along, I would appreciate that. The words also will be before you on the screen. Genesis 12 may be familiar to you, if not, so glad you're here. Genesis 12 is the story of Abraham. It says this at the onset, Now the Lord said to Abram, God hadn't changed his name yet to Abraham. Abram means father, uh, honored father. Uh, Abraham means father of multitudes. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house To a land that I will show you. In other words, you don't know where you're going, but I'm going to guide you. I'm going to lead and direct you. Verse 2, and I will make you a great nation. Here's the promise of God. And I'll bless you and I'll make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This is His covenant with Israel. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And then all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you. So Abraham went. As the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. His greatest life's journey started at 75. Get a load of that just for a second. Take that in for a second. 75 years old. That's when God began the greatest journey of his life. Now I'm not 75 yet. But I tell you what, it's been a journey just to get to this point. Would you pray with me before we get started? Heavenly Father, these are your words. As you instruct us in your word, we pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would teach us and instruct us where we are to go. You would convict us where we need convicting. 
You'd impress upon our hearts the things we need to hear today as it pertains to each one of us. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Amen. I have to say, when my wife and I started on this journey to adoption, that of course goes for the whole family, uh, we were pretty far apart on, on, on our own opinions uh, of fostering and, and crisis care and adoption. Um, of course, God brought us together in all of it. He united our hearts in it. But there were years of process and growth, and, and, and we recognize it's only beginning. Which speaks so much to the importance of seeking the Lord together. If you're married, if you're looking to be married, if you hope to be married, let me just say just a word on it. Seeking the Lord together for His will for union in your life. That that you would seek together the Lord for His greater will for your life. The Bible calls it being equally yoked. Now, now, that does not mean you will see eye to eye on everything. Believe me, I don't see eye to eye on everything with my wife Shelley. And she certainly doesn't see eye to eye on the things that I am necessarily passionate about. Although we do have one thing in common. We love the Minnesota Vikings. And she's not even from the United States. Anyway, I'm already getting off track. But God would bring us together. You know, sometimes in our lives, one might be further along. You you know what I'm talking about if you're married. One might be further along than you are, and God's going to use that person in your life to bring you up to speed. Other times, God uses that person in your life to hold you back. It's called being a team. Now, whether you're married, dating, or single... I want you to hear this. We're all destined for something that's greater than our lives. This isn't a motivational speech, but, but, it, but it's true. God has destined something much greater than your own life. It, we see it in Abraham and Sarah's life. That what God was doing in their lives was something that would be experienced in only generations to come and is still not fully fulfilled as we are awaiting Christ to establish His kingdom. That God is always working in this process as we are here on earth. That, that God has for us something generationally in mind because God moves generationally because He's considering eternity. And that's true for all of us. What's true for all of us is that He's calling us all to obedience in His will. For Abraham and Sarah, God promised something that was not to be fulfilled until long after they were gone. They didn't know where they're headed, how to get there, how long it would take, but what we see in the story is they responded with little steps of faith and in one sense a very big step of faith and leaving behind everything they knew and going, going. For my family, it began about ten years ago with God speaking into my wife Shelley's heart about crisis care and fostering. Shelley dragged me to a seminar for a ministry called Safe Families, which our church at one point was quite involved in, now involved in what uh, the ministry is called Together for Good, uh, essentially organized volunteer tiers to assist families with crisis care for their, their children. And that, that really began the journey. 
And boy, oh boy, although I dragged my feet for quite a while, um, eventually, about a year from then, we, we got involved and, and we got Emmaus involved and, and House of Hope came into the picture and there's just so many little pieces and tentacles to this story that are really incredible in how God has brought us through this process. But of course, speaking more personally, taking this step really began to impact our family. It taught our kids that the universe doesn't revolve around them. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. It taught us that there is a crisis even in our own city. That there's a cold, hard world where the cycle of poverty and difficulty, just as one example, continues, continues to hurt our children. It taught us that that reality was just a norm in some children's lives. It it taught us that but the grace of God, what I mean by that is that we ourselves could be so easily in a different situation but for the mercy of God. I remember the first baby we, we took home. We had him only for a week, but we brought him back to his mom. And we walked into her apartment. We were just given an address here. We bring the baby back. And um, we walk in and there was nothing in the apartment. And what I mean is, there's nothing in the apartment. <clears throat> what I mean is, there was nothing. We, we brought him into an apartment that didn't have any furniture, any bedding, any clothes, any food, no dishes, no anything. Of course, we looked at each other, and and as we came in, she was just happy to talk with us and kind of go over how the week went, that sort of thing, thanking us, and it was was just a really nice meet, and we ended up just sitting on the floor and chatting with her, and and, and we had to ask, "How, how long have you been here? And she said, months. I remember bringing home a little boy, and changing him as he was about to go to bed and um, getting him ready for bed. And seeing the scars on his back. I mean, brutal burns and lashings. I have hundreds of other stories. God opened our eyes to the need. But of course, there were many joys too. In, in fact, the joys far outweigh the sorrows. Ha- having the little ones help us with stuff, get to befriend them, our kids getting to invest in them as well, our church getting to invest in in them. So many joys. Fast forward many years later, God had something else. Or I should say something far beyond what we ever could have imagined when we start. You know, love is always risky. Seriously. Seriously. Love is always risky. 
And yet God has a purpose in that. Which puts a fresh new light on how we apply God's Word when it says something like this in, in James 1.22. Do you know this? Be doers of the Word, church, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. You know what that means? It means we're fooling ourselves if we think that knowing something is as good as doing it. Which is really timely, because in the age in which we're living with Google and having something like that at our fingertips, we are so prone to this deception. That knowing is as good as doing. In fact, we're becoming a society that believes that knowing is as good as doing. And let's be honest, allow me to be blunt about this. We like to be hearers only. It's easier. We love to come and sit in our chairs and listen, and believe me, I want you to be here and listen. (laughs) And listening and hearing is necessary for our growth. But that's not where it ends. We all know it. That is only a beginning. Let, Let me just throw a few statistics out at you just for a second, okay? And I'm not trying to be a downer on a celebration day. But let's just, let's just be blunt here for a second. There are currently over 440,000 children in the U.S. foster care system on any given day. More than 120,000 of those children on any given day are looking for a home. Just here. There is a staggering, there is a staggering 150 million children Worldwide, that's right, 150 million or more children worldwide who have lost either both of their parents or have been abandoned. Now that includes some who are growing up with their grandmas and grandpas, that includes some who are growing up with their aunts and uncles or family members or being adopted, but that's a lot of children, is it not? That isn't even to begin to talk about the cycle of poverty and and, and the difficulty and the trauma that so many face, even who are being cared for. I've heard many a foster parent or adoption parent say, when I was confronted with the reality of how many children there are in the child welfare and child protection, I mean, when when I spew out some some facts about uh, who's, who's in fostering right now, that actually doesn't really speak to the issue. Because there's something like three million calls that go to child protection every single year. Maybe a million get answered. Just to give you a little bit of a glimpse into the crisis. But I've heard many a foster parent or adopted parent say, once I heard that, I knew I wouldn't be the same again. I knew I had to do something. I knew I had to respond in some way or another, and there's a role for everyone. And that really is what I am trying to communicate today. That there is a role for each one of us. Our story will not be your story. But God has a story. 
and you have a place in his greater story. Consider what God's call upon the church is as we consider the greater need in society. James 1.27, for example, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. That is, now, now consider what James is saying here. Pure religion is selflessly doing something in which you should not be expecting anything in return. That's what he's referencing when he says pure religion. But James is brilliant here, and it is the Word of God, so it should be of no surprise, in that he is also addressing the crisis in the world. James is acknowledging, as he talks about keeping oneself unstained from the world, he is acknowledging that when you step into the brokenness and the messiness and the difficulty of the world, it will be difficult. See, when God created us, He never desired that children would suffer or be abandoned. He does not wish for death, for He did not create it for us. Ministry to the most vulnerable is messy, it's difficult. Sharing in the suffering, suffering excuse me, is not for the faint of heart. But consider what James is saying here. Keep oneself unstained from the world. I used to think that what that meant was live a comfortable life and try to refrain from getting into the mess just in case you're confronted with the notion that it will make you conform to the world. But that would contradict the very message that we are given here. It's a reference to what the world is about. That the world tells us every single day, every single day, we are inundated with one message, and that is live for yourself. And that is where you'll find true life. And it's a lie. We're prone to it. We fight it every day. Don't get me wrong. We have to look out for ourselves in protection. Don't get me wrong. But that is not the best life. This is a reference to keeping yourself unstained from the world in that when you reject the notion of selfishness, in doing so, you will keep yourself unstained from the world because you won't be self-focused. You'll be Christ-focused. Yes, it's messy, but you'll be a part of His greater plan. And you'll be blessed for it. Finley's adoption story began three very, very long years ago. They they seem like forever ago. And by the way, I think some of that has to do with COVID, right? Right? I still think that was just a year ago. Anyway, so long ago. It started when my wife once again said to me, I think we should take another step in our journey. And I said, there's another step in our journey? I was very, very concerned at this point. She's, by the way, she's still saying that. She just said it the other day. Anyway, let me take a deep breath for a second. She said, I I, I think we should consider adoption. Of course, initially I said, we have our own kids. (laughs) We, We have our own. Yeah, we're fine. Life is busy enough. But God would... God would start to answer a lot of questions I had, like, how, how do we afford this? Um, we, we can't afford this. How, how, how do we know this is God's will? 
or how could this be right for our family? Like, we can't get into the wrong situation here, hon. Of course, we had a picture in our own minds of what adoption should look like. And you have to have legal documentation of that when you go into something like this. I'm talking local, domestic, uh, nationality, age, gender, all these things. And, and we had a picture, but that would not be God's will. I'm, I'm not saying he didn't confirm some things along the way. But boy, what we thought we wanted and desired, and, and I'll even go back, you know, from the first time we began to talk about this, what we thought we wanted was not what we wanted because God knows our hearts better than we know our hearts, doesn't He? He created us. Well, lots of training and prep work and paperwork followed by what seemed like way longer than three years only offered us closed doors, which is really interesting because our hearts were open, but it just seemed like around every corner there was a closed door. And we have some people in our lives, some people here, who, who have experienced the same things. There's some people in our church who have experienced very similar things. And, and ask the question, God, why did you call me to something and then not open doors? But it wasn't His timing. What, what we envisioned wasn't God's timing. And thank heavens, God's timing is perfect. We got to a point where we didn't know what to do and we were consulting some of our friends like Dave and Mary and, and certainly asking our family to, to, um, to pray about it. And, and we got to a point where we just didn't know what to do. And so Shelly and I decided to go up for some lunch. We spent a lot of money on that lunch that day. I don't know why I told you that. <laughs> it was very good. But w- here, here's what we talked about. We, we, we said, is it time to move on? I remember Shelly saying to me, I don't want to be dragged along anymore. I want to move on with my life. And, and here is where, after all the times she was dragging me into things, so to speak, I believe God spoke into my heart. Because all I remember is saying is, not yet. Not yet. That was last February. Three days after that conversation, we got a call from our adoption agency. Three days. There's a little baby boy who's going to be born in all places, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. By the way, when we go out to eat now and someone asks us where he's from, we just say Sioux Falls. We know that's not what they're asking, but that's what we tell them and nothing more. So much fun. (laughs) Oh, he's from Sioux Falls. He doesn't look like me. I'm offended. One time I said that to a to a server, and she really thought I was serious. (laughs) Finally, I I did have to go back and tell her I wasn't. Anyway, I'm really getting off track here. We were told by the adoption agency that this was a high-risk pregnancy. We were told we had about 24 to 48 hours to decide. We were told that it would be closed adoption, so we may never know the story of this young man's life. We were told, actually, that it wouldn't be likely, in fact, it would be a miracle if the adoption actually went through. Seriously. So, of course, my wife was like, perfect. (laughs) I'm serious. And I was like, wait a second here. But we made that decision in 24 hours. 
And we are confident that God had a reason for that decision. Finley's godparents, or the family that we stayed with, friends from when I used to uh, serve Abiding Savior Free Lutheran on internship 16 years ago. (laughs) Who, Who would have imagined that we would come back to a hospital I visited, visiting people in the church, one year of our lives, and have our baby boy born there? Who, who would have, who could orchestrate, you know, a family to stay with for the two weeks as we awaited the, the details and the paperwork to be worked out? God orchestrates those things. On March 9th, Finley Jaira Dirud was born. Seven pounds, eleven ounces. The fact that his adoption was made official August 1st is actually a miracle. There were so many sleepless nights, beginning with that night, by the way. I remember thinking to myself, did I sign up for this? Yeah, I did sign up for this. I shouldn't have signed up for this. But God sustained us the whole way. We had that song on repeat by Maverick City Not only you hold it all together, one that we requested today, but wait on the Lord and He will renew your strength. It's true. It's true. Wait on the Lord and He will renew your strength. The story is only beginning. The journey is only beginning. But this I know for sure. Um... God will give you the desires of your heart. You just don't know what they are sometimes. I want you to consider how closely related adoption and receiving children into our homes and into our lives is to our relationship with God. Matthew 18:5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Now understand what this is. It's not about what we have done or what we're doing or what we can do. Adoption is a biblical, earthly picture of what Christ has done for us, how we were redeemed and brought back into the family of our Creator through the sacrifice and the healing of His shed blood that He offers each one of us. Throughout Scripture, this theme of adoption is woven throughout the fabric of God's greater story. God's radical love is given by way of Jesus and His sacrifice for us. And only because of Jesus, let me make that clear, we can become adopted into the household of God by Him gifting to us His righteousness. It's this beautiful picture. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. Yes, God can redeem any situation. He is in the process of redeeming this world. Yes, God can redeem anyone. And we are all a part of that redemption story for those who have accepted Jesus Christ into their heart and life. Going back to Abraham and Sarah's story, we know the road ahead for them was not comfortable. But Hebrews 11.10 reminds us 
that Abraham and Sarah's hope was not in what the world had to offer them, but something much greater and eternal. It says this in verse 10, For he was looking forward to a city that has a foundation whose designer and builder is God. Do we hear that, church? Something beyond this life. That true obedience is kingdom first living. It's considering the eternal over the temporary. It's not adding to God's plan. It's stepping into what God has always purposed and following His word one little obedience at a time each day of our lives. It's not always scary. It's not always risky, but sometimes it is. It's placing God's word over ours. It's being attentive and ready when He calls. And although He promised adversity, (laughs) but that we had ever loved but that we had never loved it comes with blessings you could never imagine so good we recognize that this journey affects more than us that's why I share it but we all have a role And God doesn't want us to be hearers only, deceiving ourselves. He calls us to obedience. And when we respond in faith and trust, oh, there is blessing beyond our imaginations. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father, as we respond in faith? I just pray that you would speak to each one of us here. Right now, in this place, right here. You speak to each one of us. What this means for me. Church, if you, if you don't mind just bowing your heads. And just giving to God whatever it is that might be keeping you from obedience. And maybe as an act of faith, if you just with heads bowed, would acknowledge that God is speaking to your heart and just raise your hand if you believe that this message is one that you needed to hear. Just, just raise them up. Thank you. Thank you for raising those hands. I, I believe that when we respond on the outside, It can be a precursor to what we are willing to do in our own lives. So Lord Jesus, may this not be exterior but interior. May may as you work in our hearts, may we be obedient. Of course, our obedience itself does not bring us into right relationship with God. That's only grace by faith. But Lord, you call us to obedience because you you are bringing us to yourself. You are you are refining us in this sanctifying process. So Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We celebrate you today. 
we pray that in everything now and as in, in the journey, the difficult journey to come, in everything, Lord, that you would be glorified. Amen.